Conference is an opportunity for us to uh, get some leaders around the world to talk about uh, key issues in our churches and have discussion about them. And we're going to do that today with some of the small group experts around the country. We're looking forward to that. You may have noticed something that's different is that uh, Greg Surratt's not on the call. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I am his son and also on staff here at Seacoast. So I'm going to kind of facilitate the call uh, today as we talk talk about small groups. And I told the guys on the panel, we have an opportunity in the next hour uh, to single-handedly uh, destroy everything Greg's worked really hard to build. So we're excited about that. Um, but we are, we are glad to have you. You've got some great people on the call. And so what I want to do is go ahead and get us started, and we'll start with uh, introductions. And as you introduce yourself, share uh, who you are, uh, who you work with, and um, the first question that I want to ask, you can handle it during the introduction as well, is what is a small group? I think it's important for us to define small groups uh, to get a, a working title, see what perspective we're coming from. I know there are churches that do uh, Sunday school and do uh, you know big group nights at the church. And so for you, where you... Uh, where you practice this, what does a small group look like? Give us a definition for that. So let's start with you, Heather. Um, Heather Zempel from National Community Church. And uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and share share what you guys view as a small group. Yeah, well, as you said, I'm Heather Zempel from National Community Church in Washington, D.C. And we actually define small groups very broadly. It's basically a group of people that are meeting together for the purpose of connecting and growing in their faith. So uh, we really want people to get a vision from God and run with it. We want to validate community where it already exists and just help people bring some intentionality to that. So if it's a group of people meeting together regularly for the purpose of taking people one step closer in their walk with Christ, we'll call that a small group. That's awesome. Very cool. What about you, Chris? Well, I'm Chris Radden. I'm the pastor of ministries at Cross Point Church in uh, Nashville, and they just figured they needed another Surratt on this hangout since Greg couldn't be here, so that's why I'm a part of it. But uh, we, uh, we, we definitely uh, use small groups in different ways. Uh, we don't have what we, you know, we don't have our typical ministries, men's, women's, so we do all of our ministries, discipleship, everything through our community groups here at Cross Point. And community groups can be anywhere from two people to 150. Uh, we have mid-sized community groups that break down into smaller groups, but basically they do life together and they uh, challenge each other to move one step closer to Christ. And that's kind of what what we call community groups, but small groups. Awesome. That's broad as well. Two to 150. I love it. Uh, what about you, Josh Walters? Uh, Josh Walters, I'm the campus pastor at uh, the Long Point campus of Seacoast. I would say that we would define a small group very similar um, to Chris and Heather as just a group of people committed to doing life together regularly to help people identify and take their next step uh, in community and in their relationship with Christ. And so uh, primarily a place of, of connecting and growing in their faith, but in terms of how we would define it, I would say it's the number isn't near as important as the commitment to meeting together regularly. So, folks walking through life together. Awesome. Speaking of life together, that's a great transition to Alan White. <laughs> was a seed there. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Josh. I'm I'm Alan White. I'm the senior program director at Life Together Ministries. I'm the only person at Life Together Ministries that has a title, so I'm thinking my title is maybe meaningless. But uh, I work with Brett Eastman. Life Together started out of Saddleback Church about a decade ago. And uh, we work with churches across the country, 
And I think what we're coming up against with the idea of small groups is, I, I think the definition would be, if you can call it something else, then it's probably not a small group. I think what's kind of come into vogue is it's cool to have small groups, so let's call Sunday school, let's call women's Bible studies, let's call everything across the board small groups, and then it becomes very kind of confusing and murky. So if it already has another name, don't call it a small group. The other thing we're running up against is people think that a small group has to be 8 to 12 people. And what we're finding is that uh, the trend is going toward groups of 3 or 4. And so small groups are getting smaller, if you will. But it's okay to be 8 to 12. It's okay to be 25 if you know how to figure that out. That's cool. That's cool. And as we worked with Alan and Life together, I know that that little piece of information was very helpful for us because... Uh, it's easier to draw and connect someone to open up their home to three or four people um, than it is even for eight to eight to ten, eight to twelve. So that's cool. I'd love to hear that, Alan. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes, though. Uh, what I want to do is I want to I want to jump to developing and training leaders because I know uh, when you talk about small groups, it's uh, they're led by somebody, you know, depending on your model. It's either someone who um, just happened to show up with, with warm blood on a weekend and you talked them into a group, or they may go through a, a long training process. But what does that look like for you guys? How do you choose? How do you develop? How do you train leaders? And, Heather, I want to give you a chance to, to take the first crack at this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, most, most people that are leading groups for us have come out of an existing group. Uh, we just want to know that they... Um, you know, have some understanding of what it means to live and walk in community within the unique context that we're in in DC. So most of our new leaders are coming um, at recommendations of existing leaders. The first thing that we do to train them is um, we do an online leadership 101. Uh, we're a multi. It might help to explain we're in a multi-site context, so trying to get everybody together for different training events can be difficult. So all of our initial training before you become a leader, online leadership 101, they do that at their own pace in their own place, um, and then after they finish that, then they can become a leader. Um, after that, all of our training and developing kind of comes in one of three types. There's the relational training that we do, which is uh, through our coaching. Uh, there's event-driven leadership training, which three times a year uh, we'll have all of our leaders meet together for a leadership summit, which is primarily vision casting and then some level of training as well. And then once a year for our annual leadership retreat. And an annual leadership retreat, it's like high-energy uh, Pastor Mark, our lead pastor, always shares vision for the upcoming year, and then we also incorporate leadership development into that. And then finally, resource-driven. Uh, anything uh, that we can deliver through a resource or through some kind of online content that doesn't require gathering people in a specific place at a specific time, uh, we try to do in an online way. So uh, we try to, we just try to deliver the right kind of training through the right vehicle, whether that's an event, um, a relationship, or a resource. Cool. That's awesome. At your at your leadership events that you do, is that just small group leader leaders, or are there other leaders within the church as well? Yeah, the two things that we do the the summits, which happen three times a year, and the leadership retreat is uh, a combination of our ministry leaders, small group leaders, and missions team leaders. But all of those environments, we try to run as small groups, with which Alan might have some disagreement with. But we just feel like you're going to serve together better if you look like a community, and a community is going to 
perform better if they're serving together somehow. So we put all of those people together for those leadership events, but then we do break them down into their individual uh, leadership categories for specialized training. Cool. That's awesome. We'll give Alan a chance to rebut in a few minutes. Right now, <laughs> Love it. Love I'm going to go to Chris. Chris, what do you guys do uh, in terms of recruiting, training, and developing leaders? Uh, we have a couple paths for uh, specifically for choosing leaders. For our regular normal community groups, we uh, kind of the same thing Heather said. We, they're recommended. They're usually already in a, in a small group. They're apprentice leader or they've come from another church where they were in leadership, community group leadership. And so that's kind of the path that we'll find our regular community group leaders. And then we have what we call hosts, and that's a much uh, lower bar set for leadership, um, lower commitment. It's strictly for six-week series that we're doing, and those hosts uh, basically choose themselves. And so we'll uh, get up at the beginning of the series and say, hey, the next series we need host to step up, do for six weeks, uh, kind of host a community group. And if you're willing to do that, let us know, and then we provide everything they need, kind of uh, training and curriculum and all that good stuff. So that's kind of the two ways that we choose leaders. And then as far as developing and training, uh, we do most of our nuts and bolts training online. Uh, we're also multi-site, so getting them all together is very difficult. And so we... Um, uh, we'll do most of that through uh, modules that we have online. And then twice a year, we have all of our small group leaders uh, get together in one place for kind of in-person in training, celebration, uh, vision casting. Uh, we do a huge one in August. That one's coming up. And then each of our campuses do their own in January. And, so, and then in between that, we have coaches and some one-offs that we do. But primarily, we do most of our training either online or through those two major uh, in-person events that we do in January and August. Cool. So you mentioned the word coach there, Chris. Do you guys have lay lay coaches in your structure, or is it pretty much uh, staff to the leader training opportunities? No, it's um, all of our coaches are lay coaches. Um, what we have is we have each campus has their own director, and that's kind of the person who's responsible for all the groups at their campus. And actually, half of those are, are lay. Two of those are part-time, and I'm the only full-time actual groups person at our church. And then uh, all of our coaches are volunteer leaders that kind of help out mainly with brand-new leaders. We don't require all of our groups to have coaches, but we do require any brand-new leaders, new, new groups, to have a coach for at least a semester. Cool. That's awesome. Heather, what about you guys? What's coaching system look like for you? We've got almost the exact same structure that uh, Chris just mentioned. All of our coaches uh, are lay coaches. We do have some people on our staff that coach, but that's just part of their volunteer ministry. It's not part of their portfolio. Um, and uh, we, the same thing, we require that leaders uh, have a coach within their first semester, but after that they can opt in or opt out to ongoing coaching. We want all of our leaders to have somebody that they can point to in their life to say, this person is helping me develop as a leader and grow in my faith, but it doesn't have to be one of our kind of pre-approved, you know, uh, NCC stamped official small group coaches. Cool. Well, knowing Chris the way I do, he probably ripped that off entirely from you. <laughs> I don't know. We might have ripped it off of him. I have no idea. Trust me, I'm just gonna, other. I'm just gonna repeat everything Heather says because that's <laughs> my Trust me. That's right. 
Josh Walters, why don't you talk about what that looks like in terms of you know uh, both the coaching model and uh, choosing and developing leaders at Seacoast? Yeah, we're kind of in a place of rebuilding with small groups where for the last few years we had uh, kind of dipped into missional communities and looked at building some larger size gatherings. There was a season where we had uh, you know four, five, six hundred small groups, and over the last few years had started building some larger size communities and are seeing that. It's just much more natural for us in terms of our DNA to connect people in small groups and then kind of mobilize them for mission. And so in our rebuilding, we partnered with Alan and Brent and Life Together and uh, did something that I, I think in the past, being a leader at Seacoast, we had a pretty, um, I don't know, just strong process in terms of a leadership application and training and all that before you would actually start leading a small group. And in our partnership with Life Together, really lowered the bar to where if you were breathing and coming to our church, um, we wanted to empower you to be a small group leader at least for six weeks. And so uh, it was a cool deal in that in lowering the bar, we were essentially saying, we know that you're in community anyway. We want to give you some tools to help plant Jesus you know, in the center of it. And then essentially use that six weeks as kind of a uh, fishing pond to identify, all right, who were the leaders that stuck around? And then we created another tool to give them, kind of repackaged an old series as a small group study. Uh, to invite them to take their next step in, in leadership and kind of solidifying their group and began investing in them. And the leadership development portion of it happened through a monthly leadership gathering. And it was the, the first year where we've done something like this, and it was kind of built on Psalm 78, 72, where uh, David shepherded them with skillful hands and integrity of heart. So we wanted to disciple them and their faith, you know, and, and invest in their hearts, but then also give them some practical tools and resources for leading a small group, you know, handling all the kind of issues that come up. So that was kind of the focus and what the tools looked like in the past. Most of our stuff has been web-driven. We had My Next Steps, which is the website, web-driven deal we did for a while. Then we had uh, Greenhouse Toolshed, where we kind of housed all of our sermon archives and books and health assessments and all that kind of stuff. And so this next year, Heather, I think we actually ripped off your model in that we're going to a more semester-oriented, you know, three or four big gatherings a year, and then giving folks a lot of stuff they can access, you know, on their own. And I love the coaching idea in terms of encouraging them one, but it doesn't have to be a uh, affirmed one of ours. So we may be ripping that as well. But it's, uh, I would say it's in a, it's in an exciting place because we've seen our number of groups and the focus on community just multiply to a place it hadn't been in a few years, which is is really exciting. But now our the way we're investing in leaders, I would say, that's probably the focal point for the next year. So, I'll be reaching out to you. You just saw Seaco's small group model evolve as Josh Walters was speaking there, and that was pretty cool. <laughs> I will say that you know, in doing the the alignment model that we did this uh, this spring, it really provided a, a huge jump start um, boost, you know, for our groups. We recruited over 1,100 uh, small group hosts, if you will, um, and got just saw our community life really take a step forward um, and created some momentum that we're excited about continuing to carry on. Uh, Alan, talk to me. You, you have worked in small group ministries at the local church level, and obviously now you're working at Life Together. Uh, what are you seeing uh, as column trends, if you will, but what are you seeing going on in terms of uh, developing and recruiting leaders in churches where it, it's being done well. 
you know, it, a lot of it depends on whatever risk level that a, a pastor or the staff is comfortable with. Um, you know, going back to when I started small groups before I was doing consulting full-time, um, I served on a church in Northern California for 15 years. And on staff there, my, my uh, journey with small groups was that I recruited all the leaders, I trained all the leaders, I coached all of the leaders, and we got to about 30% of our adults connected into groups and it got stuck. And, you know, praying and asking God for new ideas and, uh, you know, feeling challenged by some other ideas of doing host home strategies or whatever, you know, a decade ago. And, um, and, and my, my reasoning with God was, I said, God, we, we need quality control. i got to have quality control. And God kind of called me on that and said, Alan, when you use the word quality, when you say quality control, the word quality is your excuse. I just wanted control. So we developed our own curriculum and uh, offered it to our, it was, it was not pretty, it was on VHS tape, and we shot them a week ahead of when the groups needed them, but my senior pastor stood up on a Sunday morning and said, if you're willing to open up your heart and open up your home and do one of these, uh, we'll get behind you and help you. And we doubled our groups in a day. And within six months, we had 125% of our average adult attendance in groups. And that's not funny pastor math. What happened was people were more committed to their group than they were to the Sunday morning service. And they were inviting people that were beyond our church into being part of their groups. Um, so I've seen, you know, I've seen all kinds of things. I mean, a lot of it's, it has to start with, you know, what, what's an acceptable amount of risk. So some churches we're working with, um, in order to host a group, you need to be a member of the church. Some churches we work with, in order to have a group, you need to go through a weekend training beforehand. And then there are other churches that say, hey, if you're living and breathing and ready to go, uh, we'll, we're going to help you and support you in doing it. I don't know that there's a wrong in any of that. It depends on, you know, what you're comfortable with. Um, but I think the big thing is to realize that we have to mobilize our congregations. That, you know, it's been said that most, most Christians are already educated well beyond their level of obedience. And there's a line from Neil Cole that's helped me over a lot over the years. He said, we have to lower the bar on what it means to be a leader and raise the bar on what it means to be a disciple because we're all called to go and make disciples. That's cool. Very cool. Well, um, I want to ask ask Chris a question about. We talked about leadership. Talk about populating your groups. How do you guys do that at Crosspoint? I know I've heard about um, some events that you've done at maybe the beginning of semesters, but how do you connect people who are interested in a group uh, with people who are leading groups? Um, and what what does that look like at Crosspoint? Yeah, we um, we try to create as many what we call on-ramps as possible. So we have different different ways of getting into groups. We try to keep as many uh, groups open as possible. We try to continue opening up new groups through a semester. And so there hopefully is opportunities for new people when they come in to get connected right away. And we know that the best way for people to get connected and stick is in a brand new uh, community group. And so we work really hard at trying to refresh our groups have new groups starting, um, you know, every few weeks, so we can have opportunities for those. Uh, in August, we do uh, big connection events where basically we walk people through in a setting uh, what it looks like to be in a group, kind of have a group meeting on campus before they have to go out and you know go into a strange home. 
And so uh, that we had our first version of that last year, and it worked really well. And our retention rate went way up uh, when we added those. And so that's that's a big deal for us. And then uh, you know there's different other ways they can do a card on a Sunday morning. They, we have group kiosks at every single campus that they could fill out a card if they want to be in a group. Uh, also, we have an online listing of groups that they can uh, click on if they want to. Uh, check out a group and join a group. That flows through our staff and so it doesn't go directly to our leaders. So our staff has a chance to take that and hand it off to the group leaders instead of just expecting the group leaders just to respond to something out of the blue. So I think that helps us as well in that process. And so we just try to create um, several different on-ramps and then uh, with the host groups we encourage them to find their own people to get neighbors, to get coworkers, people that don't go to church. That's our big encouragement for our host group uh, people is to find their own people for their groups and we'll help them if they need it. But our, their primary way is to find people that's already in their life circle to add to their groups. Cool. That's awesome. Heather, did he take that from you too? <laughs> no, there's actually some stuff he's doing that we need to uh, replicate. Uh, we just really try to harness the rhythm of our semester system. Uh, so at the beginning of, of each semester, and I, this is very similar to what Chris is doing, but uh, we'll leverage that as an opportunity to really promote group life. So uh, we'll have three Sundays right around group semester launch where uh, that's where we're sharing stories, we're showing promotional videos, uh, maybe even utilizing weekend messages to drive home uh, just the value of community and discipleship. Uh, we have a magazine that we publish uh, once a semester that... Um, in the past, it's been a directory, like a listing of all of our groups, and we're actually thinking about shifting that to making it more of just a, a messaging piece that shares stories about the, the power of community for changed life. Um, so we pass that out at the beginning of a semester, and then, like Chris said, we, we actually do like to have a lot of on-ramps, so um, we like to have lots of ways for people to get connected. We have a small group expo. Uh, it's not an event, it's just an opportunity for people to connect with leaders after a, a weekend service. Um, there's connection cards, there are opportunities uh, online. All of our groups, uh, for the most part, open up every semester so you can go online and see uh, a listing of at least the, the groups that are open that semester and directly one, one place where we, we um, do something different than, than Crosspoint does, uh, our people can directly email a leader to get involved in their group. So there's not much kind of middle work that we do as a staff, but we do still have a number of people that will email us directly and we try to get them involved in the right group. One thing that we've had a lot of success in too is uh, mid-sized groups and those have been mentioned already, but just getting people to move from a, a weekend service of 300, 400 or more people to a, to a small environment of, of eight people in the living room has been really hard, so we really try to move people towards some of those mid-sized groups like an alpha course uh, or even, it sounds crazy, but our Theology 101 tends to be a large, uh, a larger environment. Um, and then within those mid-sized groups, breaking people down into small groups so they get some small group experience. And then the next semester, uh, multiplying those out to become their own group. Cool. That's awesome. Josh, talk about our, our strategy as well. And I know you may piggyback off of the mid-sized group. I know that's a, a core piece of what you're doing at, uh, at this, this Mount Pleasant campus. But talk about what that looks like for us. I would say we're uh, very much driven by the semester schedule as well, just really taking advantage of, you know, families' rhythms and school schedules when folks are naturally kind of getting back in the rhythm of a normal life to have big kickoff weekends and things like that. We use 
mid-sized gatherings, um, essentially just like Heather was saying, the bridge from a weekend experience with, you know, 1,500 people into a home is a big one. So we have environments for men and women and couples where essentially our strategy is to make it as easy as possible and as likely as possible that they would connect. So removing all the barriers for someone new to our church, you know, they're new to the area and they don't have a babysitter, they couldn't find childcare. So on Wednesday nights, we have these mid-sized gatherings uh, in each of our different venues in the worship center and chapel and uh, warehouse and the other rooms where men, women, or couples can gather. We provide child care. We have food here at the church, so if they're getting off late and don't have time to get the kids food or get here, you know, we tried to remove all the barriers so that we could provide an opportunity for them to connect. And then over the course of that semester, the win would, would be to see some of those small groups, uh, you know, at, there at a table that are at a mid-sized gathering, spin off to become small groups. Uh, for some of them, they end up staying there in those mid-sized gatherings because... <laughs> you know, the barriers like childcare or whatever are, are an issue for them. So that's kind of the initial push. We, we really encourage new folks to go through the inside track, which is kind of like our assimilation process for learning who we are as a church. And in that, we really push small groups and kind of lay out all the opportunities. Apart from that, we use kind of sounds similar to the magazine you use, Heather. We do uh, several times a year called the Update Guide, which just lists out all of the opportunities on a kind of daily basis, so every day of the week so that it would lay out for folks, men, women, couples, children, pastoral care, you know, every every ministry here in the church, different opportunities to connect and engage. And then on an individual basis, we have a lot of the same things you mentioned, Chris. Uh, you know, online folks can fill out a Connect card, Connect cards on the weekends. We have a Connect Center in the Breezeway, um, Connect card you can go with through our app, I believe. So just a bunch of different bunch of different ways to where when someone decides they want to take their next step, they should be able to either go online or walk in the church and have a place to go or something to fill out pretty easily. So, Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm going to ask, ask a question to Chris first, but you guys will be thinking about it too. Um, you know, small groups is an, typically is an evolution process within the church. You know, it starts when you're, you're planting uh, groups may look one way, and, and then it kind of evolves over the years. If you could just start over, if you could push the reset button on uh, groups starting over based on what you've learned up to this point, uh, what would you change or maybe do differently about your small groups? And uh, Chris, I know you were a campus pastor here at Seacoast for a, a season, and then you were able to kind of launch into Crosspoint in a, in a small group role, and I'm sure that you um, you kind of practically had it, had an opportunity to do just that. But what would you do differently if you were if you were able to just start over and recreate a small group ministry? That's a good question. Um, basically, I did everything the opposite from Seacoast, and it seemed to work. That's good. I don't know where else to go with that. But, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think, I mean, it was interesting to be able to come into a uh, newer church. At the time I got here, uh, Crosspoint was only six years old, and so they really hadn't developed a lot of systems and a lot of structure to their groups. They had a great kind of organic built uh, community group process, but there weren't a lot of systems. So I was able to take kind of the systems and some of the learnings that we would had from Seacoast and kind of you know, marry them with the already organic building 
uh, groups that were happening here. You know, th I think that helped. But if I was to completely start over with a brand new church, I think I would really uh, uh, build in the care process into it as early as possible in taking care of those leaders because I think we have a tendency just to recruit as many leaders as we possibly can, hand them their tools and say, you know, good luck with that. And then we kind of play catch up with, oh, we need people to care for them, we need coaches, and we never really get enough coaches. And so I would really kind of focus on first making sure those leaders are being cared for, having soul care for those leaders um, before even launching just a ton of, ton of groups. Um, and I think I probably would have started with the host idea earlier on. I think it really opened up uh, an avenue for a lot of leaders to grow and develop without having to go through a lot of hoops um, and kind of experimenting with host groups before they even become full community group leaders. And so I wish I would have had that concept earlier on. So it was probably a couple things for me that cool. if I was to start over. And then just copy everything Heather does. I mean, it really, really works. <laughs> <laughs> You've kind of done that. So that's that's proven to work well for you, though. So. <laughs> hey, Chris, talk about, um, and we, we may get back to that question if, if some of you guys have something you want to add to it, but um, so you've got two different pathways. You've got a host and a leader. Um, what do you guys do to, to transition a host who opens up their home for six weeks into a leader? Is there anything formal that you're doing a, along that way, or is it um, a more organic in nature? Uh, yeah, it's, there's some formal things that we do. One is um, we require that they meet with their campus group's director, uh, which is not a requirement for a host, um, who we're not going to add people to their group. We have kind of two levels of hosts. We have the hosts that uh, basically we give them their stuff, we give them a training DVD, and we say go find friends, neighbors, whatever, do that. You know, We'll get you more curriculum if you need it for the next semester, um, but go for it. And then there's the hosts that say, hey, we want you to help us add people, we want to be a part of your connection event, and so that's a different level. They have to at least meet with their group's director to make sure that we're okay with adding people to their group, sending people their way. And so then once a host uh, wants to become a community group leader, we'll have them do another interview. Uh, we have an agreement uh, covenant that we have them fill out that we kind of walk them through what does it mean to be community group leader here at Crosspoint. If they haven't been through our first kind of uh, newcomers deal for us, discovering Crosspoint, we have them go through that. And then we start them on our online training, which we don't do with our hosts uh, at least right away. And so those, that's kind of the steps towards being a regular community group leader from a host. Cool. Awesome. Heather, what about you on the reset button? If, if you were starting over, anything you do differently? Yeah, well... I think every every couple of years, it's good for me to just rethink what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, at the beginning of this past year, I came in at the beginning of the year with my team and said, should we keep doing small groups? Or is that the best way to build community and to disciple people? And that's always a nervous question to ask because, you know, that could cost all of us our jobs. Um, but a few years ago, I did something called Operation Kaboom, where we completely blew up everything we were doing with group life uh, to try to make it line up better with our multi-site strategy and also just recognizing we'd grown to be a little bit larger church and kind of growing from what felt like a family business to something that needed a little bit more structure and system to it. Um, but at the point that I'm at right now, uh, if I could do some things 
differently or be able to hit some reset buttons. One, I think I would utilize the, the power and the momentum that comes with alignment series a little bit better. We've done a few of those, but in a lot of ways it flies in the face a little bit of our strat, our kind of commitment to free market strategy. And I think maybe we overcommitted to that a little bit because I think there's some really powerful things that can come through an alignment series. And I would also um, have built in uh, a higher level probably of authority and responsibility for our campus pastors to be more involved in the life of small groups um, across our campuses. So we're beginning to, to do a little of both of those things, um, but it's a lot easier to do it from the outset than to try to, as Chris said earlier, work some of these things into an already existing system. Already existing system. So that's probably a couple things I would do differently. Cool. That's great. And let's let's transition that since you, you brought up sort of the alignments series. I want to talk that for a minute. Um, I think we've hit it. Seacoast did them. We did 40 days of purpose and 40 days of community, uh, and then we didn't do them for several years. Um, a couple of little things here and there. We did a couple that we created ourselves, but we took about a four or five year break, and then we we launched back into them this year. Chris, do you guys do alignment series? We do. Um, it's it's powerful for us. We do at least one a year in September and then occasional ones like in January, February. So this year we're, we're doing one in September, and then we're doing one around uh, Pete's book comes out in January, so we're going to do one around that as well. So, yeah, it's been a, a great tool for us. Cool. And, Heather, you mentioned that you'd like to do more of them uh, or you'd like to maybe capitalize on that a little bit better. Alan, why don't you talk about that? That's obviously in your wheelhouse. Um, what works about aligning, um, and there are probably several people that are that are watching today that maybe haven't tried it, and it may seem like kind of an overwhelming, um, overwhelming thing to jump in and start. So just sell us on alignment series, and uh, I know one of the things that we found from working with you is we were surprised at um, how capable we were of actually pulling this thing off. Um, because of because of you guys coming alongside of us and helping us, and it wasn't too long into it that we realized I think we might be able to do do more of these than we gave ourselves credit for. But talk about alignment series, Alan, and what what are you seeing, and why do they work? I think the secret to it is simply this: outside of Jesus Christ, the reason people attend your church is because of your senior pastor. No, don't say that to your worship leader because that'll break his heart. <laughs> But seriously, they're there because if they're not connected to each other in a group or in a smaller environment, they're there because they resonate with the senior pastor, with his personality, with his ability to communicate on a weekly basis. And that's why they're there, because they connect. And so when he stands up and says, I'd like you to consider opening up your home or joining a group for the next six weeks to be a part of a curriculum that aligns with my weekend message, people are going to be interested in that because the senior pastor is advocating that. Now, what that takes up, up a notch and what you guys experienced at Seacoast and, and several other folks are doing is that when the senior pastor says, we've developed materials around my teaching, well, now all of a sudden the senior pastor is on the video. So that really raises the interest level on this. And one of the coolest outcomes we've seen is not only people who had never thought about doing a group, opening up their homes to allow God to you know, use them to do a group, we found that they would invite friends and neighbors who had never darkened the door of our church 
that would come in, they would become introduced to our senior pastor on the video, and then when their friend invited them to come to church, they felt like they knew our senior pastor because they had just spent six weeks in their buddy's home watching him on video. So I think there's a lot of strong things, and at a minimum, I mean, even from a Christian education standpoint, what you're reinforcing in during the week what's being presented on the weekend. The church I grew up in, you went to Sunday school, you got a lesson. You, you did the Sunday morning service, you got a le another lesson. You went to Sunday night service, you got another lesson. You went to midweek, you got a fourth lesson. And if you didn't do these things and the Lord came back, you weren't going to heaven. This is what I was taught. <laughs> Therapy has helped me a great deal. Um, but anyway, uh, if you think about it, if they're on the weekend, you know, they can't ask questions. They can't raise their hand in the middle of the sermon and say, yeah, but what about this? But to have a group of people that they can enjoy community with, they can come back, they can revisit the topic, and then they can work on the application, have some support and accountability in trying to work out things. So I, I could go on and on, but I, I won't. There's other speakers on here that probably have better things. But I, I do want to counter what Heather was saying earlier, though, that you know she calls all of these different groups in her church small groups. And what I have to say is this. She wrote a book that was called Community is Messy. So if you want messy, go to National Community Church. That was oh. And read Heather's book. It's excellent. That, that was great. You'll definitely find mess and lots of it. <laughs> well, we'll stick with you then, Heather, because I want to talk about a messy, a messy topic for a minute. And... Um, and the question would be, have you ever had to, to remove a leader, and how do you how do you approach that, um, especially when you, you guys have kind of been known to do the free market group and uh, have different different types of groups? So have you have you guys ever run into that where uh, you you realize that what's happening within a group is actually more toxic than it is um, helpful, <laughs> and you've you've had to kind of come in and and clean that up? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I love the the Neil Cole. Uh, paradigm about raising the bar of disciple and lowering the bar of leader. I just I think that's fantastic and really really helpful because um, if the ultimate goal is discipleship, then then we've got to be very clear about what we're thinking about there. Um, yeah, we we run into this all the time. Um, one thing that's very helpful for us at the outset is that we have all, and I think some others on the call have, have already mentioned this, but we have all of our leaders sign a leadership covenant at the very beginning of their leadership. And that provides for us a, um, a standard of lifestyle and doctrine and teaching. Um, now, when you read it, it's pretty straightforward. It's about you know promoting the unity of our church, being in line with the vision of our church. Um, there's some lifestyle stuff incorporated in that. And we always communicate to our leaders that this isn't like a weed-out mechanism. It's not a matter of if you can't check all of this off, you can't be a leader at NCC. But we do say this is what we're willing to be held accountable to. And any other leader who's who's ever signed this, whether it's a staff pastor or just a peer leader, anyone is, is able to hold you accountable to this at any time. And we ask that anyone who signs it be willing to be be willing to be held accountable to it and hold others accountable to it. So that's always where we start. Whenever there's a, a problem in a group, whether that's a, a sin issue or just a relational tension, we'll go back to that leadership covenant and that becomes kind of the foundation where we start talking about whatever the issue is. Uh, and then the other thing that's part of that conversation is always growth. 
Um, we believe that every mess we encounter, every hiccup that we face is an opportunity for all of us to grow. Whether it's a leader that's, you know, caught in a sin issue or they've just caused a lot of relational mess in their group. You know, how do they grow through this? How, do they, how does their group grow through it? How do I grow as a leader through it? Um, and then all, it's, it's always about progress and always about redemption and reconciliation. So um, we never want to just remove a leader from a group without then giving them a track of growth. Um, whether that's going to get some sort of, you know, be involved in a recovery ministry or maybe they need some accountability or be involved in a group themselves. We always try to give a track so, um, so that they're growing and it's never like we've put the stamp of doom on them forever and they can never come back into leadership. Uh, it's all about growth. Um, so yeah, we, it's, all, it's always navigated um, case by case. And, and two questions I'm always kind of thinking about, particularly if there's a sin issue or a, an addictive behavior issue, um, I'm always thinking in terms of, one, what's going to be best for the leader? Is it going to be best for their growth if they continue in a place of leadership or if they take a step back for a season? And then what's best for the group? Um, his trust been lost, his relationship been lost, and what's best for the group, for that leader to stay in place and for them to be able to watch that leader walk through whatever it is they're walking through, or is it best for the group for them to transition uh, to new leadership? Um, it, again, it's messy. We don't have a one-size-fits-all, except for the fact that that leadership covenant does become the basis for all of those conversations. I love that because you, you give them, uh, you, you can point back to something that they've seen, they've signed, um, they understand. And, and I know we've had to do a few of these as well, not nearly as many as I'm sure you are, are cross point because we have you know, much holier people. At <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah if, there, if there's an expectation, usually when you're coming to a leader about something, uh, I found there, there's typically a sense of relief in, in that they, they know that they've been um, struggling, they've been trying to figure out what to do, and so to come alongside them, usually there's a sense of relief, and if there isn't, um, that's even a bigger sign for me that it was probably time to, to remove that leader um, yeah. if they're just completely blind to the issues that are going on. So, Chris, have you guys had any of that, any, any, any opportunities to remove, anything you'd add to that? Uh, no, because we allow them to do whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So, um, no, it happens occasionally. Uh, I wouldn't say that, actually, we've had to do it a lot. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe we do let things slide. But um, when it does happen, uh, we do also kind of look back at the covenant and kind of walk them through what it means to be a leader and uh, also try to redirect. And um, we really try to step into the group and see if there's someone else who can continue with the group. And if not, then we really try to assimilate them to other groups if we can and um, kind of walk alongside that leader that we had to remove. And occasionally they come back, occasionally they don't. So, But uh, luckily it hasn't happened too often. But like Heather said, it's never fun. It's always messy. And uh, it's, you know, just something that happens. But, uh, yeah, the covenant helps a lot. I'm so glad that we have that to kind of turn back to when something comes up. Let me ask it in a, a different question, but maybe similar. Um, and I'll stick with you, Chris. What, what, do you, what do you expect as a life cycle of a group? Um, because sometimes it's not about removing a group leader as much as it is that the group's evolving and, you know, maybe the group is ending. What, what have you seen as you've looked at it what, and, and as you kind of 
think about a successful small group, what would you say is the average lifespan or an expected lifespan of a small group? That's a good question. I don't know that I have an exact time frame for a group. I think that um, most healthy groups, I'll just use my group for a good, good example. Uh, we started our group when we first got here. So we, our group has now gone four years. Uh, we have continued to add new people to our group. So out of the people that come to our group, probably five of them were originally with our group. The rest of them have been added along the way. And so I think for us that has really helped um, bring health and life to our group. It hasn't been you know, something that's gone stale because when we add new people, it seems to add new life to our group. It adds new experiences to our group. And so um, the groups that I see that kind of become unhealthy and go maybe too long are the ones that, for me, never add new people, never add new life to it. And usually we'll kind of see that happen around maybe two to three years. But then we have some groups that have been doing it, you know, since the church started for 10 years. They love it. They're healthy. They don't want people. They occasionally show up for events. And as long as they're, you know, growing, I'm, I'm okay with that. But um, I think, you know, if you're going to stay together for a long time, I think it's good to add new people occasionally just to add new perspective, new life to it. And it's definitely helped our group stay healthy. That's cool. Great. What about you, Josh Walters? What what have you seen with that? I'm really I feel, and I don't know if it's jaded by the season of life that we're in, but I feel like I would answer the question based on the season of the family. I feel like, uh, you know, with babies and uh, middle school, high school, I feel like the life cycle of a family just really shapes and influences group involvement a ton. And so uh, a lot of our groups are, you know, midweek groups are stay-at-home moms, and those tend to be a lot more consistent because of the, you know, uh, opportunities that we offer them to be able to meet and still have their kids. And I don't know. I feel like they're all, feel like they're all different. I don't know that I would mm-hmm. identify any trends just because our, our lives are all so different. Some strong leaders whose groups have been steady and Chris sound a lot like yours will be relocated and move, and the, the group will kind of dissolve or somebody else will pick it up, but you know, I don't know that I would say 12 months or 24 months. We have some that have been meeting for years and are strong. We have some that went for a semester and are strong and are strong business leaders that just kind of got involved in other things. So I think it depends largely on our, you know, what we call them to, the rhythm of life they're walking in, and what the leader looks like, if they're a business person or a teacher or, you know, what the, what the DNA of the group looks like. Cool. That's good. And uh, we've got about 10 minutes left on the call, and what I want to do is uh, hit you guys each with one more question, and um, I may have two more, but at least one more question. And I want to talk about it's It's the middle of July right now. It's summertime, and um, in some churches you hear that we, we don't have groups that meet in the summer. Some meet through the summer. Uh, but what's, what's one thing that you're working on in your small groups area this summer? And uh, how have you seen, as you've led groups, um, how have you seen groups utilize the summer um, and, and take advantage of the opportunities in the summer uh, rather than just kind of considering mm-hmm. it a throwaway? Uh, what are some things you've seen groups do to, to maximize the summer? And uh, Heather, I'll start with you. What, do you. what are you thinking about this summer? Uh, what I'm thinking about is how to change our print magazine from just a clearinghouse of 
opportunities and group listings to something that's better at conveying story and culture. So we're kind of in a reset on that right now. Um, in terms of what our groups focus on, I, we're in a unique place in Washington, D.C. because we have such a huge influx of interns every summer. So on some level, some of our groups are really ramping up what they're doing to incorporate and uh, include those interns. Um, we found interns will come and during their summer of three months or two months with us, get baptized, uh, take tremendous strides in their growth in Christ. So uh, we have some groups that are set up just for interns that are coming in in different spheres of the government and society. Um, but then some of our other groups really harness the summer for a time of outreach. Uh, instead of doing studies, they'll do backdoor, backyard barbecues and invite neighbors in, or they'll do block parties, or they'll get really involved in service to the community. Uh, just taking advantage of the, the season to get to know people and to get more people involved uh, in what they're doing. So we don't have a, a singular focus as a small group ministry in terms of what we do with the summer because we feel like it's different for every group and for every, uh, you know, kind of as Josh said, every whatever that group's demographic is or season of life is, uh, whatever makes sense for them is what we go with. Cool. That's great. What about you, Chris? Something we're thinking through and working on this summer is we're kind of moving away from being so free market with our curriculum um, instead of having groups basically do whatever they want with suggestions. We're kind of narrowing it down to uh, we're looking at what would we want a group to walk through over a year span to mm -hmm. kind of cover everything that we would want them to study, to learn, to you know, become more mature disciples. And so we're creating uh, what we're calling a curriculum menu that kind of walks them through, and we're actually designing it after kind of a restaurant menu. Every, every everything from an appetizer, uh, salads, the main course, to dessert, to all a part. And basically, a group through a year, a calendar year, could do a study from each one of these categories and kind of get a full meal, full spiritual health meal, if if you want to put it that way. And so. We're working on that and kind of coming up with what each category looks like, what's in each category, and then we're going to roll that out at our leadership rally coming up in August. So that's been a big project for us this summer. And then as far as summer groups, uh, I would echo what Heather said. They're kind of all over the map. We have young adults, um, you know, singles who yeah, their life doesn't change for the summer, and so they continue meeting as just a normal group and they don't see a reason why they should break because they don't have the cycle of summer and kids and all that good stuff. And then we have, you know, your family groups and, and all that, that summer, July is really a good time for them to break. And what we do is we give them suggestions for that month. Uh, we, we ask them to do at least a couple social events and then also do a serving event. And we have what we call our serving Saturday that we do once a quarter where our entire church goes out and serves. And so that's an easy way for them to jump in. We had one just last Saturday, and for their group to serve. And so we encourage them to stay in contact, not necessarily do regular group meetings, but do something social, serve. And then we've also found that it's actually a great time for uh, new people to maybe jump into a group because their first experience of the group is not just a Bible study in a house. It's an outing at a park or whatever they're doing socially. And so we've encouraged a lot of groups who are open to accept new people in the summer and have their first experience be that social gathering or that serving event. So that's kind of what we do for the summer. That's awesome. 
I love the idea of the uh, the menu. So two thoughts about that. One, when you get it done, you need to share that with everybody. You know, put put it out there where we can look at it. Two, there's a curriculum called Make Room uh, that would be a great dessert menu item. Never, on your, uh, never heard of it. Never heard of it. Okay, good. <laughs> Josh, what about uh, what about you? What are you guys thinking about the small group ministry at Seacoast? I would say the focus for this summer has been uh, relationship and mission. You know, I feel like our like you were saying, Heather, we really drive our semester calendar in terms of really pushing to get people in groups and providing options. You know, we did a, we talked a little bit about the alignment study, but we also did a, a focus study, which was kind of a follow-up uh, content that we provided for all the groups that went through the alignment study. So I feel like during the semester schedule, we're really engaged, and it's still a uh, low control, high accountability kind of environment. We don't say the things they have to study. It's very free market. But in the summer, uh, I think one of the things when we partnered with Life Together and kind of pushing the reset button was acknowledging that our our mm -hmm. structure used to be um, much more controlled and not as relationally driven. A small group leader would come up and we'd assign them to a coach instead of letting them kind of relationally gravitate towards people that could invest in them or disciple them, help them grow. And so this summer has been one really of, of focusing on relationship. We've seen a lot of different, each of our ministries doing beach parties and picnics and gatherings at the park, that kind of deal, really just seeing folks connect on a, on a relational level. And then for mission, some folks uh, feel like we kind of use the triangle up in and out as the lens we look through. Some folks are a little more <laughs> bent towards the in and they've focused on relationships. Some groups are a little more bent towards the out and in the summer, they've gravitated towards mission. So they've done been some groups do Sunday night suppers in North Charleston, where they'll have several small groups come together to do a uh, you know picnic type evening dinners in low income areas and just love on and minister to people. So I'd say focus on relationship and mission for the summer, kind of gearing up for kickoff September. Cool, that's awesome. One of the things we talk to our campus pastors about a lot is. Um, and we, we even do this, and I'm sure you do too, embedded within our training and, and leadership development is that small groups are about way more than the meeting, you know, your scheduled meeting. And so if that's true, uh, what we tell our groups is we don't, we don't take a break from small groups during the summer because we don't take a break from relationships. They just take on a different rhythm during the summer. And so uh, just encouraging them to be intentional with that. Like Josh said, you know, beach parties gatherings, that backyard barbecue, you know, whatever it takes, but just talking about how um, it's it's a different rhythm. Uh, so instead of just talking about taking a break, we just, it looks different, feels different for a lot of people during the summer. So last question, and I mean it this time, uh, you've got just a couple minutes left. Uh, what's the it for you? This is a segment Greg does every week on, uh, or every, every time he does ministry hangouts, a book that you're reading, maybe it's a time for shameless self-promotion, something that you've written recently um, or, or something you're reading or something that's really impacted your thinking uh, in ministry. So, uh, Alan, I want to start with you. What's what's your it? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one because lately the books that I've been reading are the books that have been handed to me that relate to somebody's project. So <laughs> it's kind of dominating my reading time right now, so I have no brilliant answer for you. That's right. Just say make room, Alan. <laughs> make, make room and community is messy. <laughs> Chris, what about you? 
Uh, I would definitely read Community is Messy. That's an, that's a, that's an amazing book. I, honestly, if Heather wasn't on here, I would say that too. But uh, kind of a, a book that our executive team is going through right now, which is really cool, is The Four Disciplines of Execution. And uh, it's some good starters. It's by Stephen Covey's son, uh, who unfortunately will always be known as Stephen Covey's son instead of his real name. But uh, it's a great book. So we're working through that right now. Cool. What about you, Heather? Uh, a couple things. I uh, read The Advantage. This was actually a few months ago, so it's not really, really new. But in terms of thinking through structures and systems, which is a place that we're at, that was really helpful just to get my brain around what that needs to look like and what kind of questions I need to ask. A book that I need to get back to, I need to read again, is The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. I've read it about four times, but in order to have like just a healthy rhythm in my own life, that's one that I need to get back to. Um, and probably making room as well, I would say that. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. What about you, Josh? I was actually going to say the same thing, Heather. Patrick Lencioni's The Advantage, and then Peter Singe, The Art and uh, Practice of a Learning Organization. So just kind of been thinking a lot about organizational health and, uh, you know, the language and tools, vehicles we use to create a healthy culture. So I would definitely, that Peter Singe book, it's, it's an older book, but, man, it's, uh, I think there was a season where I had, like, 20 tweets in a row. <laughs> It was my reading, and it was all coming from him, so just a great one. That's cool. Well, I want to thank all of you guys for uh, joining us on this discussion, and um, been very helpful, I know, for the people that have, have tuned in. I want to thank the people that are, are tuning in to Ministry Hangout, let you guys know that uh, this happens the second and fourth Wednesday of every single month uh, at 2 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. And so our next ministry hangout, and Pastor Greg will be back with Sean Wood, um, and that's going to be on the 14th of August. And so I want to invite you guys to definitely mark your calendars to be a part of that. Uh, I don't have all the information on who's going to be joining us on that call, but we'll put that out here on this website as well as uh, on Twitter and Facebook. So uh, that being said, hope you guys have the rest, uh, a great rest of your Wednesday, and uh, we'll see you guys next time on Ministry Hangouts.